Um, okay, so we're gonna pass those buckets and uh, thank you guys for doing that. And I'm just gonna go ahead and jump in if that's okay, because I've got a pretty uh, interesting message for you. So I, I need to do a disclaimer, okay? So I need everybody to just proverbially buckle your seatbelts. I don't intend to step on everyone's toes, but I have a feeling at some point in this message I'm going to offend you on all the spectrum of what I'm gonna talk about. So it's like landmines. I don't know what's going to uh, trigger in you. I'm just asking that you just stay engaged till the end, okay? So anytime I do a message like this, I always tell you guys, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to land where I have land. The kingdom of God is so great because he gives you permission to be led by the Holy Spirit as you feel he's leading you. And sometimes that means we disagree over scripture, right? That's okay, all right? Okay. So we're talking about who the Holy Spirit is, right? It should be so simple, but it's probably not. So I've got four myths today that we're going to talk about, myths about the Holy Spirit, cultural things that we've gleaned from who the Holy Spirit is that we're going to be um, addressing. So our main text of the day is going to be out of John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. So we're going to go, we're going to reference this chunk of text a couple different times. So if you want to mark it in your Bibles, you can do that. All of our text today, except for one, is coming out of the um, ESV, and I'll let you know when it's not that one. So if you want to follow along on your version, click that translation to ESV, and um, here we go. So we're going to read this first, and I'm going to break it down for you, and then we're going to dive into the myths. Everybody good with that? All right, I feel like this is really important for us, this message, because if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, we can't really walk in the fullness of what he's given us, right? Um, so they go hand in hand for sure. Okay, so John chapter 16, verse 4 through 15. When Jesus is speaking, he has just finished telling the disciples about how they're going to be persecuted heavily. Okay, so there's a lot of drama in this conversation that's happening. And so that's the backstory. So then he says, I did not say these things to you, beginning in verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And what Jesus is alluding to here, in my opinion, is he's saying, listen, I was with you. I was going to make sure you stayed the course to where we're going, right? So you don't always need to know what's around the next corner. I want you to just be with me, and I will take care of what's around the next corner. Verse five, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? I love that. Can't you just hear Jesus? He's like, do you guys even care? Like, where am I going, right? You're so sad, you just can't hear me. He says in verse six, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So this word filled, actually the Greek word behind this is like something along the lines of possessed or like overtaken. So there's nothing in their hearts right there except sorrow. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation with someone, you're trying to have a conversation with them and they're so sad that it's like there's half the stuff you want to talk about you just can't because their hearts are filled with sorrow. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, your hearts are so filled with sorrow. But then he says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. How many of you guys have been in a conversation with someone when they say something like, okay, can I just tell you honestly, right? And all of a sudden you're like, was everything else you just said to me a lie? <laughs> is, it, is now the honest part, right? No, when we say that, what are we saying? We're saying, hone in on this. What I'm about to say to you is like front and center. Be hyper-focused on this part. Don't miss it, right? That's what we're saying. That's what Jesus did. He goes, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Everything he said was the truth, but he wants us to zero in on this verse right here. Here we go. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Now picture this. You're a disciple of Jesus. You have given up 
everything. You've been living with him for three years. He is your daily bread, quite literally. You eat breakfast, lunch, dinner together. Everything you do, Jesus, can I have a bathroom break, right? Like you're together all the time. He's your best friend. He's the best family member you've ever had. He is the pinnacle of your life, right? And then he says to you, it's actually better for you that I'm leaving. This is a really bizarre thing for Jesus to say, but he means it. Why? Because he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's actually to your advantage that I go away. And then he says this in verse 8, excuse me, the second part of verse 7. He says, "Um, for if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I don't know how it works in heaven. Like, if it's a majority rules. Like, if there has to be two parties of the Trinity in heaven at all times, right? That's the picture I get when this. And Jesus is like, I'm going to go tag your it, and then the helper will come. So just hang out for a couple of weeks, right? I know that's not really how it works, but I think it's so interesting. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, I'm going to go, and then I'm going to send him to you. And there's this interesting dichotomy we don't get to understand that unless Jesus took up the cross and left the earth, the Holy Spirit could not come and do his work, right? Okay, we're good with this. I think everybody's like, Rachel, you're not offending me yet, so praise God. Uh, Okay, verse eight. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he's gonna do three things. Everybody say three things. It's not in the scripture, but it's about to be made plain. All right, so when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Everybody say sin. And righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. And judgment judgment. All right, verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, listen, there are three things the Holy Spirit is doing in your life constantly, and it's not just three. They're not relegated to these three. There are other things he does as well. The first one is he convicts you of your sin, right? So if you have ever had a moment where you're like, oh, I need Jesus, you have had a moment with the Holy Spirit. But we are really familiar with that. We're pretty good about his, the understanding of his convicting of our sin. But he also convicts you of your righteousness. Did you know this? He is reminding you of who you really are. His conviction is not just to what's wrong, but also to what's right. This is extremely powerful. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life, a third of what he's doing, well, that's a very overly simplified way to say it, but a large part of what he's doing in your life is spending every day reminding you, hey, you are a child of God. Hey, you are better than this. Hey, you can have a relationship with God, right? He's convicting you of your righteousness. And then the third category, the judgment, it says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Holy Spirit is the most grand warrior of all time. Every battle that you have fought in the Spirit has been Holy Spirit riding the white horse in front of you. He is the ultimate victor, right? And so what does he do in our lives? He reminds us that he put this guy under his feet and he's given you this place over here. That's what he's doing, right? He, he does these three things constantly and Jesus is saying, you can't have that unless I go and fulfill my part in heaven. All right, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I love this. I feel like this is parenting Jesus coming out, right? When you're trying to like explain something to your kids and you just realize they've tapped out. Okay, you're maxed, right? I'll tell you later. He said, I got more to tell you. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, this is the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now pause for a second. What is Jesus doing? He's starting to paint a picture for you. Do you remember what Jesus' work on the earth was? He didn't speak on his own authority. He spoke on whose authority? 
the Father's, right? Whatever, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He became the exact representation of the Father on the earth. He only did, he only said, he only acted like he saw God doing. And he's creating a parallel picture that now the Holy Spirit is gonna do that for you, right? Now the Holy Spirit is essentially going to take Jesus' place on the earth, okay? Some of you just got tripped on a landmine. Hold on. We're going to break it down. All right, so he says he will, and then he says this, he will glorify me in verse 14, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and give it to you. So there's something happening here, right? We're beginning to understand the order of God, how it works, right? So what is Jesus saying? You've seen my pattern in your life. You've gotten used to what it's like to have God in your midst, and that's not going to change. That's what he's saying here. The Holy Spirit is going to step into my place for that. I've got other work I've got to go do, but listen, it's actually better for you, okay? So this brings us to our first myth, that, that the Holy Spirit is somehow a lesser version of God than the Father and Jesus. Now, I know some of you guys, when I say it like that, would be like, oh no, I don't believe that. But I think in our small brains, like our humanity, we get broken when we start to try to contemplate what God really is, right? And so we think like this. Okay, so we know there's Yahweh, right? We know there's God. He is like God. And so we get that. And then he has a son. And because we have children and we know people who have children, we kind of get that. Okay, so they're like the same, but they're different, but they're the same because they're family. And then we get to the Holy Spirit and our brains just go, <laughs> right? Because we have a hard enough time understanding two people in perfect unity. We can't even begin to get three. There is no one on the face of the earth who has ever walked in perfect unity with one other, really, let's be honest, there's no one on the face of the earth that's walked in perfect unity with themselves, right? And so when we start to try to understand what it's like for three expressions of God to truly be one, our brains are like, uh, hmm, there has to be one that's lesser than the other. We start to like order them. Or we do things like this. We come up with human terms to try to describe an indescribable God. We come up with words like the Trinity. Did you know that the Trinity is not in the Bible? It's not a word that's in the Bible anywhere. But that's our attempt to try to explain like, well, it's like a triangle, right? God gave us the triangle and there's three and they make one and then our brains are like, uh, and we just kind of pause. Or we make up words like this, like the Godhead, also not really a biblical term, but I use both of these, so I'm not saying it's wrong if you try to explain it like this. I'm just trying to show you our finite minds can't really comprehend what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is not the minion of the trilogy, I mean the Trinity. <laughs> there we go again, right? Another human term, trying to understand threes. No, the Holy Spirit is not the minion. He's not the, the, the servant. He's not the slave. He's not the one who drew the short straw. He is every bit as God, as Jesus, and as the Father. But in, in our minds, in our humanity, what we do is we look at hierarchy and we translate that to something like a power dynamic, right? Order in the kingdom is not the same thing as order of power. Did you know this? Okay, landmines ahead, okay? Uh, here's an example. Like in a marriage, right? So we have these scriptures, these beautiful scriptures about the husband being the head of the wife. And so what we do in our humanity is we think, so power, no power. That's what we interpret that, right? That if there's a two-person dynamic and there's a hierarchy there, then there must be a dominant person and a subservient person. That's actually not the case. God gives us a beautiful example of what hierarchy without a power dynamic looks like. 
but we have had so much humanity ingrained in us that we can't truly comprehend it. Are you guys tracking with me? So we can look at marriage, we can look at partnerships, we can look at God and we can think, okay, I don't understand how you could each be equal, how you could each have a different role, and yet you all share the same power. I believe this is a total side note for you, but I believe that's what marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is supposed to be a representation of what it's like for two powerful people to come together, made in the image of God, and both exercise their power through different roles. I remember being in a counseling session, and if Grant was in here, he would be dying laughing at this, so just pretend you can hear his laughter. We were in a counseling session with a marriage counselor, and and, uh, I was unloading all of my frustrations, as you do in those settings, and um, the counselor looked at me and he said, you know, Rachel, I think you've looked at marriage like you're on this boat, and it's supposed to be you and Grant both holding one side of the steering wheel, like beautifully sailing into the sunset, and I'm like, you nailed it right? Isn't that godly marriage? And he looked at me, the counselor, and he said, "Uh, that's actually an incomplete picture of marriage. He said, a godly marriage is two boats, both the man in his boat, the woman in her boat, behind their own wheel, floating in tandem down the sunset. And I looked at Grant, who is incredibly individualistic, who was like, I love that picture. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I don't want that. If that's the end, I don't want that. Don't, you know, end of counseling session, we'll just stay here. We're trying to fight over the helm of the wheel, right? Because when we understand a godly marriage, then we understand that it's not one person letting go of their self-control, their self-alignment, their, their personhood for the sake of someone else. The best marriages are two people fully alive in God working in tandem together, Right? And so if we can see even a glimpse of that picture, can we begin to see a glimpse of the picture of how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit work together in complete tandem? Okay? All right, we're making it. We're doing good. All right, he is God on the earth. I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter, seven, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He's not a lesser version of the Trinity. He's not a lesser person. He's not the servant of God and Jesus. He is God. This is what Paul tells us in verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord, equal sign, Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So here's another thing Holy Spirit does for you. Everywhere he is, he brings freedom. And then he says this in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Two times in this one passage, Paul is saying, God is saying, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? He's not a form of God. He's not part of God. He is God. You guys tracking with me? All right. Uh, But this gets confusing for us because we don't call on the name of the Holy Spirit, right? We call on the name of Jesus. So when we bring this back into our muddled understanding of power dynamics, then we start to think, well, isn't Jesus the top of the Trinity because that's the name we give? Or isn't it, you know, and it gets really confusing. Let me break this down for you super simply, okay? Philippians 2, verse 9, God clears this up for us, all right? Here we go. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by, this is verse eight, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then verse nine, therefore God the Father has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen? So what is God saying? I get it, humans, it's hard. 
hard, just call us Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's oversimplifying it for us. But then what we've done is we've said, so we call him Jesus so we don't need the Holy Spirit. This brings us to myth number two. Everybody say two. That you, cannot, that you can actually have, this is the myth, that you can actually have God and Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. Now, I know dozens, probably thousands of people over the course of my life who genuinely believe this. If you've ever been a part of a cessationist church, this is part of their thinking that somehow you can have a relationship with Jesus and you don't really need the Holy Spirit. I've had people say things to me like, you know, uh, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need all of that stuff. Have you ever heard that? I've got Jesus, right? I'm good, I don't need all this stuff, but listen, okay, listen. If you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have ever had a moment where you were convicted to the point of salvation, that moment came to you by who? The Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, we just read this, right? So it is actually impossible to have God the Father and God Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. They are like inseparable. But here's what I think happens. We don't like what we see in the human expression of the Holy Spirit, and we like what we feel in the presence of God, and so we make a judgment call about the Holy Spirit because of what someone did in the presence of God as opposed to who he really is, right? A lot of you guys know this about me, but I'm a magnet for weirdos, okay? so. Um, if you are a weirdo, I love you. God, I love you so much, and I embrace you for all of your eccentricities. Um, but you guys know what I'm saying, right? And so uh, I, I, I don't know if it's my discernment or my bad luck, or I don't know, but I can tell you, I'll walk into a conference setting and no one is there, and the seat that's highlighted for me is next to the person who's the weirdest person I've ever met, right? And when I was trying to understand the Holy Spirit in my life, I was like, I had like the Megatron magnets on all sides. So all the people I knew who loved the Holy Spirit were people I didn't want to be like. And it created this subtle chasm where I was like, if that's what the Holy Spirit is, maybe I am good with Jesus and Father and I don't need that, right? Listen, that's wrong. Because we are not called to look to a person and say, oh, that's what God is like. I want that. That's what? That's idolatry. If we're elevating a person's human expression over who God really is, who he says he is in his word, who we experience him to be when he's living in our lives, right? That's the way we're supposed to do it is say, God, show me who you are, not let me look around and see the people who are just eccentric for eccentric's sake. If you're eccentric, praise God. God made you that way. Like there's a place for you in the kingdom, right? But if you're not, you don't have to become that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You just have to be you, a normal for me, I'm like, I grew up in a suburban town in Missouri. There were 96% white people. Of the 4% minority, 3% were Asian. So it was like a really interesting dynamic. I am not exaggerating. I knew four African-American families in my entire life until I got to college. That's crazy, right? That's how white my town is, okay? So I'm just a white, basic, normal girl. I don't drink pumpkin spice lattes. That's the only thing I don't fit in the category of like the whitest person you know. I embrace that. That's who I am, right? I don't have to become something else to be who God made me to be. I just have to be me. If you're not that, same, right? You don't have to become like some kind of stoic expression of the Holy Spirit because you are more eccentric. You just be you, okay? All right. 
usually when we're having an encounter, when we're having a struggle with the Holy Spirit, our struggle is really more about our own personal flesh than it is about who he is as God. Ooh, don't say that, Rachel, because then I have to do something about that. Well, yeah, you do. Because here's the thing. So many of us spend so much time pulling ourselves out of the presence of God because we have a perceived issue with the Holy Spirit's expression in another person, right? And so we actually cut ourselves off from him. We can't do that, guys. You cannot have God without the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we just established Holy Spirit is God on the earth. So you, it's not possible. What did Jesus say back to this John 16? God the Father has given everything to me, and I'm giving it to the Holy Spirit to give to you. That means you don't have anything of God if the Holy Spirit didn't give it to you. So it's just such, it's like, this is what I feel like the Lord was showing me. It's a twisted delusion of the enemy that we can exist without the Holy Spirit. Because fundamentally, it's not true. If you are saved, you already have the Holy Spirit, right? But the enemy comes in and distorts it and makes us think we don't. But you do. Just tap yourself on the shoulder and be like, hey, I'm actually with the Holy Spirit right now, even if I don't like you. The problem, again, it's in our, and it's in our flesh. I don't have this verse for you, but you can look this up in Galatians chapter 5. Um, this is such a great passage of scripture. And um, in this chunk, Paul is saying that the, uh, look it up for you. He's talking about the war between the flesh and the spirit, right? And so in this verse uh, 17 of chapter 5, he actually makes this statement. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. And the spirit is opposed to the flesh. They are constantly at war with each other, guys. Right? And this is why when we struggle with the idea of the Holy Spirit, we're not just struggling with the Holy Spirit over here, but we're totally good with God. We're actually struggling with all of God. If we have an issue with the Holy Spirit, we have an issue with all of God. Does this make sense? I think we've got to understand and embrace this. And so what happens is we start to walk in our flesh. And as we walk in our flesh, then we, our flesh begins to be more at war with the Holy Spirit. Because this is what the Bible tells us, right? So how do we know? How do you know if you're walking in your flesh? Well, I'm going to read this to you out of the Amplified Translation. Um, and this is an intense list, but, you know, uh, here we go. Hold yourself if you need to. So the sinful nature has its desire, which is opposed to the spirit. Um, and then it says, and the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the spirit are in direct opposition to each other. Um, they're continually in conflict, is what the Amplified said. So that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do, right? We all experience that. But if you are led and guided by the Holy Spirit, you're not subject to the law. Now, here we go. Now, the practices of the sinful nature are clearly evident. Everybody say, clearly evident. Now you might blind yourself, but everybody else around you knows it's clearly evident, okay? Just a freebie for you. So here we go. They are sexual immorality. If there is any immorality in you, guess what? That is a byproduct of what? The Spirit of God in you? No, your flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, total irresponsibility, or lack of self-control is what the Amplified calls it. Whew, that's a big one. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, other translations call it rage, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, hello. If you've ever been envious of anybody, guess what? That's your flesh talking to you. It's not the spirit of God, it's your flesh. Drunkenness, riotous behavior, and other things like these. I love that part. It's not an exhaustive list. Like we could add drug use on this, right? Because drug use wasn't really a thing in the Galatian world, right? But it is in our world. We could add that to the list. These are the things that the flesh does. And then he goes on to say, I warn you beforehand, just as I previously did, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus, really. 
The byproduct and the working of the Holy Spirit looks like this. It's the next section. But the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, if you're walking in the Spirit, this is what we see in your life. We see love. The Amplified calls that unselfish concern for others. We see joy or inner peace. We see patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while we are waiting. Ouch. Kindness. We see goodness. We see faithfulness, gentleness, and certainly we see self-control, right? The only control that's legal in the kingdom of God is self-control, right? And so what this is saying is when we start to think we can have a relationship with Jesus and not the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is cutting off everything of who we are. What we're actually doing is giving ourselves permission to walk in the flesh and not walk by the Spirit. This brings us to uh, myth number three, all right? And it's this one. This is a doozy, okay? Uh, That the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You're like, but he is. Well, is he though? Here's my question for you, okay? The first time I was ever in a charismatic setting, Actually, it was the second time. The first time I was in high school, I knew some aliens who spoke in tongues, right? No, I'm just kidding. They were uh, people, and I loved them. And, uh, but they didn't do that in the church that I grew up in. And so I remember like, like wanting to get to know them, but they felt like aliens to me. That's how it felt like. What makes you, like, what, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. And so one of my best friends started getting to know them, and she received the gift of tongues. So she's driving down the road. She starts speaking in tongues. The presence of God washes over her. She's telling me this testimony, and I'm like, I think maybe, I think I could get to a point where I would maybe want that in my life. That's kind of was my response at the time. And the next day, my best friend came up to me and said, I've been thinking about all that speaking in tongues stuff, which apparently I'd been processing with them. And they said, if you ever speak in tongues, I'll never talk to you again. And I was like, oh, well, I don't need that then. It's a logical response, right? So bad. Don't be like me, okay? And so that was that. Several years later, I'm in a church setting, in a leadership setting, and they were praying for everybody to have the gift of tongues. I hadn't really revisited tongues at all. I thought it was bizarre. I didn't really think I needed it. So in this setting, I did what only you can do when you're terrified of what's happening in the room, but you still want to look like you're holy, okay? So I knelt down, and I got down on the ground, and I put my face to the ground. Don't tell me you've never done this. And I pretended like I was having a moment with God, but what I was really doing was trying to just hope they got past all of this stuff so we could move on, right? So I could maintain my dignity as someone who was really pursuing God and didn't have to face the fact that tongues just freaked me out, okay? If you've never been like that, like, praise God, I'm so excited for you, but a lot of us have. And so I had a friend who, I guess through discernment, figured out that's what I was doing because I was pretty sure I was putting on a good show. And, um, and she came up to me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, hey, Rachel, you know, if you don't want the gift of tongues, you, you don't have to do this right now. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know what had happened in my mind, but I was like, uh, uh, you know. And um, and she was like, listen, just take the pressure off, right? And about a year later, I did receive the gift of tongues. Thank you, God, such an amazing gift in my life. But what she told me in that moment was, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's never going to do anything you don't want. But what I came to discover as I really surrendered my life to God is that pretty much all he does are things I don't want if I'm walking in my flesh, Am I, am I alone in this, right? If I'm walking in the spirit, I'm just like, yes, the love, the peace, the patience. I just wait so well. I, you know, I have so much gentleness and kindness, and I'm so good at self-control over all the doubt and the fear and whatever. But when I'm walking in the flesh, I'm like, oh, Lord, I thought you were a gentleman, and you just stormed in here like a SWAT team and took over my life, right? He's not a gentleman in this way. When we say that, what we're really saying is he's subject to what we want him to do. But if God is only subject to what we want him to do, then he's no longer God, he's our servant, right? We don't get to tell God how to be God. You may not have known that, but this is like 
now you know, okay? We don't have that place. We just say, Lord, I give you my life, and we let him do whatever he wants. Come in guns blazing or come in with like a white tablecloth and a tray, however he wants to be for you. But he's not a gentleman to the place that we get to say, yes, God, no, God, and still be mature, right? Yes, in your self-control, you, let me just put it this way. Uh, you are the biggest resistance in your life. I tell myself this all the time. Like, you are the reason why this isn't happening. Get out of your own way, right? It's, the enemy has a small amount of power. Usually he gets fueled by what we give to him in that power, right? But the biggest power is us. Why? Because we've been given free will and we've been given self-control. And so we actually do have the power to say, you don't look like a gentleman, no thank you. But if we do that, we're actually not walking in the spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yes, you can do that, but you're no longer walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. And then by nature anyway, it's opposed to what God is trying to do in your life, okay? So the Holy Spirit, I mean, at some level, yes, he's a gentleman. Why? Because he's God and he's kind and he's merciful and he's just and he's loving, but he also is power itself, right? And if a human being touches a power outlet, what happens? It doesn't look normal, right? It doesn't look normal. Something happens to your physical body. And there are moments in the kingdom with God where we get to have a, a small essence of that power in him and it blasts you out and you, you, you look like you were not just in contact with a gentleman, okay? I've had a couple of moments with the Lord where, like, here's a great one. Like, would a gentleman ever come, over, come in and knock you over? Anyone think that's like, would we say, oh my gosh, you gotta meet this guy, Brett. He's so amazing. He walked in and he knocked me over on my feet. He just hit me in the face. Everybody would be like, uh, do not open the door for Brett again, right? That would be weird, you know? But yet we come and we're like, Holy Spirit, you're such a gentleman. And the next thing we know, we're on the ground. How did I get here, Lord? Right? Here's my point and why we have to address this myth. It's not so that we start looking at Jesus as in, in Holy Spirit as something hostile. It's so that we understand how we put layers of protection between us and God. And if we can do the hard work of dismantling those layers, we actually get more of God in our lives. You guys tracking with me? All right, so let's not let the Holy Spirit be our butler. We be his butler, right? Randy Clark always says, he prays this prayer, Lord, make me change in your pocket. You can spend me any way you want. That's really the picture of what it looks like to walk with God. I'm giving up my entitlement, my dignity, my sanity, right? I'm giving it all up to you, Lord, because I trust that you are God. And I trust that you're going to be kind to me in whatever he's doing in you, that that's what needs to be done. All right, myth, myth number four. Here we go. This is our last one for the morning, and it's this, that the Holy Spirit is super sensitive, Okay, this is a tough one, right? The Holy Spirit's very sensitive. I was listening to a pastor say it like this. I thought this was so true. He's like, have you ever been in a setting where somebody says, you know, if, if you have to stay really still, we're about to do an altar call, you gotta be really still, and if a baby cries, whew, the Holy Spirit's gone, right? Have you ever experienced that? I remember being in a church one time years ago, and they had ushers, and they would actually lock the doors during ministry time so that you couldn't get out, because they, they wanted to create a culture where you could get out if you had an emergency, but um, they wanted to create a culture where you were really still so that God could do what he wanted to do, right? The problem with this is that we, again, find ourselves in control of God. The Holy Spirit is actually not super sensitive. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, okay? 
This is one of the places where we get this idea for this theology behind, and it's, it's at the back end of another scripture of what it looks like to walk in the flesh. Coarse joking, making inappropriate comments to people. Guys, that's something that comes out of the flesh. You might not want to hear that. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says, right? So if we make coarse jokes, lewd jokes, stuff like that, it's the flesh coming out of us. It's not the spirit. It's uh, all this stuff that Paul is saying, and then he ends that passage with this verse. Okay? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, two interesting things, theological points, come out of this verse. Taken completely out of context, they mean something different. Here's one. That when you were saved, you got a seal of the Holy Spirit, but that's all you got of him. Anybody ever heard that? Okay? That you got a part of him, but you still need more of him. Okay? We're going to touch on that in a second. The other part that comes from that is that somehow you can have your, you got three taps coming into your bathtub. You can have Father God turn on 100%. You can have Jesus turn on 100%. And then you can quench the Holy Spirit one, but still have water coming out. That's what we think. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit of God. But let me just tell you as frankly as I can. If you quench the Holy Spirit of God, you are quenching God. You don't get to have Jesus still at work in your life, but say, no, Holy Spirit, I'm not into you. Right? It, it, it can't exist. If we're being logical, if we're being scriptural, that's a silly thought. Right? I'm sorry if you guys are like, wow, you've offended me so badly. I do love you. I really do. But I feel like it's so important for us to dive into the things that are lurking inside of us so that we can call it out so we can have more of God at work in our lives, which is what I'm going to show you how to do. The second one is this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, and it just says simply, do not quench the spirit. It's the same, the same point. You can't quench the spirit and yet be totally interested in Jesus. Why? Because you can't have Jesus without the Holy Spirit. John 16, one more time, everything the Father has given to me, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will give that to you. So if you've ever had an encounter with the Father, which I hope you have, those are some of my favorites, you know who was there in that encounter? You know how you got that? It's the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit set that one out, like, oh, you got this, Dad? Cool, yeah, I'm gonna take a break. It's really hard in Iran right now. I'm just gonna, whew, you know? No, it's not like that. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've ever heard Jesus say something to you, it's because the Holy Spirit showed that to you. So we cannot quench the Spirit and still have a dynamic relationship with God. Do you guys understand that? It doesn't exist. What we think is that we're quenching our idea of how the Holy Spirit moves in the expression of humanity. But then our problem is not really with God. Our problem is with the eccentric people. Right? The Holy Spirit being super sensitive. I had a friend who was a missionary in a Middle Eastern country and they were talking about this amazing testimony where they had a window in their uh, living room and there was a dove that would come and sit on the window. Really cool, right? So prophetic, right? And then they went on to say, uh, every time we would argue, which was not common for them, but when they would argue or raise their voice, they noticed the dove would leave. And so they began to say, it's just like that with God. It's like we have to walk in the Spirit so he will stay with us. And I bought that hook, line, and sinker until the Lord showed me if I have the power to offend God that much, why does he love me enough to sacrifice his only son? We don't send the Holy Spirit away. We pull ourselves out of his presence, right? We cannot get Holy Spirit to leave us. If we could, we are violating one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So he doesn't leave us. We actually leave him right? I think ultimately that picture of the dove leaving is a great example of that. It's not that the Holy Spirit was like, oh, you idiots, peace out, right? No, it's that we step into the flesh. <laughs> no, you guys don't think like that? Sorry, that's how I think. 
But it's when we step into the flesh in that way. Let me give you an example, okay? John chapter one, verse 32. I don't have this on the screen, but this is the story of Jesus' baptism, okay? He goes under, he comes out. This is how I read it. The heavens opened. God the Father spoke, right? You guys read it like that? I don't know. I'm, I like, it's like a cinematic show to me, right? And he's like, this is my son who I'm well pleased, or whatever voice God takes on in that day. And, um, and then this crazy thing happened. It says, then the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. It wasn't that he had a parrot on his shoulder like a pirate, right? It was that it was like a dove. That's the only thing they could try to explain it. The Holy Spirit comes down, and then it says, and then he got up and it left. No, that's not what it says. It came down and it remained. It doesn't ever say that it left. This is the best picture for us because Jesus went on right after that to have some straight up crazy temptations, to have some moments. Like, you know, when he's in the wilderness and he's looking at all the stones and Satan comes to him and says, turn these into bread and he's super hungry. I've been there. I've been on this mountain in Israel. There, it's, like, it's like a gravel mountain, guys, okay? It's nothing but rocks. So this would be like 100 Paneras all at their prime hour sending out buns left and right, right? That's what the Satan was tempting him with. Just say to these stones, this is a mountain of bread, people. This isn't like, and if you're really hungry, if you've ever done a fast longer than a day, then you're like, yeah, I get it, Jesus. That was like a huge temptation. If somebody came to me and was like, all of Panera dumped their truck at your driveway. It's free. It's just going to go to waste. That's like what is happening, right? And he's having to say in himself, no, the Holy Spirit is empowering me to do the assignment that I've, give, that I've been given. That's what we get to step into, right? So the Holy Spirit comes on him and remains. He comes on you and remains. Let me give you another picture. Ezekiel chapter 10. This is a really interesting chapter where the Holy Spirit is leaving the temple and he leaves through lingering. It's like he doesn't want to go. If you read it, we don't have time to read the whole scripture, but if you read it, it's like he was at the altar and then he moved to the middle of the room. I'm paraphrasing here. And then he moved to the eastern gate and he hovered over the eastern gate. And then he, right, why? Because he didn't want to leave. You are a child of the Holy Spirit. He is your dad in every sense of Father God being your dad, right? And this is so important for us to understand because we have to get rid of this idea that we offend him and he leaves us to our own devices. It's just not the way that it works. When the Pentecost happened, Jesus goes in heaven, tag, you're it, Holy Spirit, it's your turn, right? And no, that's how it happened, I'm just kidding. Um, but there, it's like, I, I love this picture of the Holy Spirit like waiting for the moment and he's like counting it down, right? Like three two, one, right? And he shows up and he blitzes out because he's so excited that fire starts falling on people's heads and they start spontaneously babbling and the sound is in the whole city. He was like, whoops, I meant it for the upper room, but I was just so excited it reverberated into the whole city and everybody comes drawing and 3,000 people are saved. That's the picture of the Holy Spirit wanting and staying with you, right? He could not wait for his turn to be the one who remains in you. You can't drive him away. No matter how hard you try, you can step yourself out. You can choose to walk in your flesh, but you cannot drive him away. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you know why he's groaning? Graham Cook says he's groaning because he has to listen to your flesh. It's like, ugh, this again, Lord, right? They're having fun, don't worry. Uh, 
but he's groaning. And then he says, and he who searches hearts and knows what is, the mind, what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Why would the Holy Spirit stay with you and be praying for you if you offend him all the time? Doesn't make any sense. I, I had this understanding of the Holy Spirit that he was like so fragile and he was so emotionally unstable. And if you have that picture in your mind too, listen, he can't be. Because if he was, he would not have been the right choice to be God among us now, right? He is not insecure. He's not overly emotional. Yes, he's emotional, and so is God for that matter. Uh, if you don't know, just read the Old Testament, right? There's a lot of emotion of God being like, should I kill them all? I regret making them. I'll kill them. No, okay, okay, I'll give them another chance, right? It's a very emotional thing. So yes, the Holy Spirit has emotions. He likes to laugh. He, he has a great sense of humor. He has sadness as well. He commiserates with you in your weakness as well, right? He has emotions, but he's not fragile in that way. He's certainly not codependent, and he certainly not someone that we can control in that way. Otherwise, he's not God, right? All right, I want to lead you through the last curve of the minefield for the sake of this morning, and it's this. Um, I, I, I'll just be really honest. For most of my life, I've had a real challenge with the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and um, and I know that you guys may not just, you may not agree with me in this, and that's okay. We don't have to see eye to eye in this. But my challenge was, how can we have God, but then not have God? Do you understand what I'm saying? So this idea that we've been given a seal, but then we need more of the Holy Spirit or else we're not actually like real Christians, right? That's, that's how my brain receives the message, not like what people are saying. And what I came to find in my own research in this is the, the phrase or the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit exists in six scriptures, that's it, Okay. Three of those six are a story of John baptizing people in the river and saying, Jesus is coming to baptize you with water and the Holy Spirit. So that's half the verses, whoop, to a single story account, okay? The other three verses are situations uh, where the Holy Spirit filled people. And different translations call that a baptism. One of, uh, the one that doesn't fit in the system would be uh, Paul when he was... Saul, and he had his blind moment, and Ananias is sent to him in the verse in Acts 2, I think it's Acts 2, uh, verse, no, yeah, verse 4, sorry, verse, Acts 9, verse 17, it says, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hand on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you by the road, um, came to me, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, but the interesting thing about this is that Paul was not really saved yet at this moment, so let's just get real theological for a moment. Ephesians tells us we have been located in Christ, right? At the point of your salvation, you are born again and you are made into a new creation. And you're made into a new creation through water and through the blood, right? It's the same way you have a natural birth. You have the blood of Jesus, which has then cleansed you of your sins. You have your water baptism, which cleanses, which is your symbol, your outward working, right? And it's a spiritual parallel to your natural birth. So now you've been reborn. And then nowhere besides these small scriptures does it say you are an incomplete person until you get then rebaptized by the Holy Spirit? Why do I make this, in, like I'm getting into real nitty-gritty here? Because it goes to the point where we feel like we can exist without him, right? But at your point of salvation, you were set into Jesus and by proxy set into the Holy Spirit as well. So what gets renewed, like, like I think what we need to do is start picturing our baptism in the Holy Spirit as the moment of surrender where we yielded our flesh to the Lord and started walking in the Spirit, 
Does that make sense? To me, that's a much more balanced biblical picture of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Now, let me just be clear. We all need more of God. We literally need more of him every single hour of the day. So I'm not saying we don't need to show up to the concept we've created about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and be like, I need more of you. We should be doing that every day, right? So that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying our terminology around it might be a little bit misleading to people who are coming into the kingdom to allow them to think for a moment they have Jesus and God, but not the Holy Spirit. And I feel like over the last 30 minutes, I've done a pretty good job of helping you guys understand that's not true. Scripturally, we are in the Holy Spirit from the moment we say yes to Jesus, right? He is God on the earth. In fact, you couldn't say yes to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. So does he get you to the point of salvation and then be like, ooh, hoo, hoo, I'm gonna wait for another eight years until you meet some charismatic people and then you go down to the altar and then you have your moment, right? That would be ridiculous. What kind of a God would that be? In the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit is then readily available to you with, as Ephesians tells you, all the spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. Every single thing you need, peace, joy, love, breakthrough, power, uh, self-control, the whole list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's all sitting there ready for you. We, in our humanity, as we're being transformed from glory to glory, can only take in so much. This is why Paul says we're like babies, you know, and then we gotta become adults. And it's in that process, through our yielding to more of God, that we get more of him working in our life, and then we get more of him working in our life, and it looks like we met him for the first time. But the reality is he was there all along. So here's my question to you. Do you really know who the Holy Spirit is for you? And my challenge to you is if there is anything inside of you that has felt resistant to him, has felt resistant to his ways, has felt resistant to his power or whatever you think of in the Holy Spirit, today is your day to deal with that in your heart and come into the understanding that if you're good with Jesus, you're good with the Holy Spirit. Like if you know Jesus and you're like, I'm comfortable with that, I'm just kind of freaked out about that over here, your freaking out is from the enemy. It's not God because you already know who he is. You already know what he's like. The Holy Spirit's just more of that. And the fact of the matter is, they're all doing the same agenda. There's no three agendas, right? It's not like you have a moment with Jesus and the Holy Spirit was like, well, I wouldn't have picked that right now, but I'll just be in unity. <laughs> no, together, they're like this nebulous working thing and they're like, yes, this is what you need. We're gonna take him through this. And then, oh man, he's gonna come to know us in such a greater measure, right? And it's all fueled by the Holy Spirit. You are united with him, connected with him, and everything he has is not only available to you externally, but available to you internally as well. Does that make sense? So here's what we're gonna do to wrap up our time together. I just wanna take a few minutes and give you guys an opportunity to talk to him. And I'm not gonna put on any music um, because we don't need it. <laughs> it might be awkward for you. You might have to retrain your mind on how to stay focused, right? But I want you to just take some time and tell him. If, you, if you're feeling convicted about something, that's the Holy Spirit showing you he wants to retrain your mind in that way. So just tell him, Lord, I repent for that. I've been doing this a lot lately. Lord, I repent that I've been looking at you in this way and all the while you were really doing this. That was the enemy twisting my perspective so I would step back from you, right? The, everything the enemy does is to get you to withdraw from the presence so that you can start working in the flesh and then making a mess of your life. 
So whatever you need to do, whether you need to repent, whether you need to invite him for more, whether you've never had a, quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit experience and you really just want to feel more of his presence in your life, that's available for you today. If you want the gift of tongues and you've never had that, you probably need the gift of tongues. And so you can ask him for that as well. But it's not some sort of like super, you know, like it's already been paid for. He's already done it. It's just sitting right there on the table. It's like it's like the, the cupcake in the midst of all the dessert spread, right? And you're like, well, should I only have one? The Holy Spirit's like, well, today only is holy calories. They don't count. Eat it all. It's kind of like that in the kingdom, right? And so this is your morning for that. So I'm just going to pray, and we're just going to take a moment and just let you guys talk to the Lord. So Holy Spirit, we just love you so much. We really, really do. And Lord, we, we are so thankful that we're made in your image. And so we just invite you in this moment to search our hearts, as David prayed, to know us, to see if there's any anxious thoughts in us, to see if there's any wayward thinking in us. And Lord, would you lead us to a place if, of repentance if that's needed? Would you give us more of your presence if that's needed? Lord, whatever we need today, God, we just say yes to you. We open our hearts and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So we're just going to take about a minute or two and just be quiet and listen to the Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If you're still talking to him, please definitely keep doing that. But um, Lord, we just pray on behalf of, I just ask on behalf of um, the other pastors and, and churches in our area that have misunderstood who you are and have therefore somehow held us back as a city from encountering you. Lord, we just repent for that this morning. And Holy Spirit, we just make it known through proclamation and declaration today that we want you to be God in Oklahoma that we want you to elevate our level of thinking. We want you to be at, at work in our midst. We want you to, to heal our land. We want you to heal our government. And we want you to heal our churches, Lord. Lord, we ask that, that Oklahoma City would be a place that's known for, for operating in the fullness of who you are, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together. And so, Lord, for every church that has inadvertently quenched you through, through thinking something wrong about you, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to do what you're already doing and extend your grace and mercy, that you would send revelation to us so we could understand who you are. And, Lord, for every person in this room, Lord, I ask that we would come into a greater place of enlightenment in knowing who you are, in understanding how to partner with you to fulfill the callings that are on our life and to do what you wanna do on the earth. And so Holy Spirit, we just say today a declaration that what you have in mind is what we want on the earth. What you're thinking about, what you're hoping for, what you're building towards, Lord, we just say yes and amen, not only here at Bethel OKC, but in all of central Oklahoma. In Jesus' name, and Lord, I bless every person here to step into their identity as a victorious warrior. I bless them to step into their identity as, as, as someone who truly loves and operates with the Holy Spirit. And Father, we just say yes and amen to what you're doing in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you guys need prayer for anything, you're welcome to come up here. If you need to spend a little bit more time with the Lord, please do that. Otherwise, you are blessed to have an awesome afternoon.